You listen to 247 Real Talk. This is your host, Julian Perry. And I have the honor and privilege of having a chat with a repeat guest. For those of you who don't remember, he appeared on the episode that aired on December 11th, 2020. It was entitled, You Can Succumb to the Debilitating Discomfort and Misery, or you can learn to embrace it and use it to make you a stronger and better human being. I chose the latter. I'll be right back with none other than Terry Tucker. So good evening, one and all. Good evening to my audience, uh, 247 Real Talk Podcast. Glad to be here with you again. Um, This is a very special episode for me. It's December, it's Christmas, and as I said in my introduction, I have the honor and privilege of of having a repeat guest with me. What I want to do before I bring him on is read to you his uh, sort of uh, bio uh, and remind you of the first episode. His bio said, In many ways, I believe I am just like any of the billions of people existing on this planet. I have reinvented myself frequently over my professional career. After I graduated from college at the Citadel, where I played NCAA Division I basketball, I was employed in the marketing department at the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International in Dublin, Ohio. From there, I worked in hospital administration for Riverside Methodist Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. After getting married and moving to California for my wife's job, I became the customer service manager for an academic publishing company in Santa Barbara. After our daughter was born and we moved to Cincinnati, Ohio, I became a police officer with the Cincinnati Police Department, where I was a SWAT hostage negotiator. Following a family relocation to Texas, I started a school security consulting business and coached high school girls basketball in Houston. Each time I took on a new job, I had to develop new skills and faced different challenges. There was always a significant learning curve with every new position. But my greatest challenge began in early 2012 when I was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer called acrolentiginous melanoma. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, but which presented on the bottom of my foot. By the time the melanoma was detected, it had metastasized to a lymph node in my groin. Because my cancer is so rare, only about 6,500 people are diagnosed with this form of malignancy in the U.S. each year. I was treated at the world-renowned MD Anderson Cancer Center. I had two surgeries to remove the tumors, and after I healed, I was put on a weekly injection of the drug, and I think it's interferon. To, keep help, uh, to help keep the disease from coming back. I took those weekly injections for four years and seven months before the interferon became so toxic to my body that I ended up in the intensive care unit with a fever of 108 degrees. Fortunately, expert medical care saved my life. The interferon gave me severe flu-like symptoms for two or three days after each injection. I lost 50 pounds during my therapy was constantly nauseous, fatigued, and chilled. My ability to taste food significantly diminished, and my body constantly ached. The misery went on for over 1,660 days. One thing I learned during my pain and suffering is that you have two choices. You can succumb to the debilitating discomfort and misery, or you can learn to embrace it and use it to make you a stronger and better human being. I chose the latter. For all of you who remember that, and for you, those of you who don't, when I recorded my first episode with Terry, I made a pact with him, a promise, that despite the prognosis a year ago, that we were going to record another episode. I don't know what his doctors believed, but I almost feel like I want to call this episode, But God. 
Terry, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here with me. Well, thank you for having me, Julian. I'm looking forward to talking to you once more. Yes, as as I said, all I could think of as I as I as I reflected today on on having this conversation this evening, what just what just kept coming to me was but God. I want you to tell us since we last spoke. Tell me and my audience what life has been like and what you've been through since we last spoke. Yeah, since we last spoke, uh, I have moved away from chemotherapy, and I am taking a clinical trial drug now that has had some success for me. It has shrunk the tumors in my lungs by about 30%, but more than likely, it's not going to save my life, but very, very well may save someone else's life, you know, five, 10 years down the road, based on all the data that the doctors are gleaning from, from me. So I kind of look at it as this is something that's a little bit bigger than me. Uh, when I started on this clinical trial drug, I started on it with seven other people. Four of them the drug had no effect on, and they were pretty quickly taken off uh, the trial drug. And that left three of us, uh, myself, uh, another about an 80-year-old man and a 50-year-old woman. Unfortunately, within the last couple months, I have lost both of my friends both that man and that woman, they have succumbed to, to their cancer. So I kind of feel like I'm living the legacy uh, for them and, and continuing to go on and doing the best I can and keeping their memory alive. And that is, you know, it is so, it is so difficult for me to record this episode, not because I don't want to get into, and I will get into, what an inspiration you are, but because I feel, you know, when I speak with you and, I, and for my audience, it's important for them to know that I do keep in contact with Terry every few months. I check in on him to see how he's doing. And I feel amazingly blessed to be here at just after 10 p.m. Wednesday, December 15th to record this episode with you. Um, I remember on our first episode I don't think you started the trial yet, and, and, and it was sort of a long shot. And I just believe that no matter what the long shot was, when I spoke with you, so much of who you are was grounded in the Almighty God that I said, as I said today, but God. And it is a, I can't find a word right now to be able to know that I can keep my promise and, 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 and almost feel like God kept his promise to you that you are here, that you are fighting, that you're, I, 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 want, I almost want to say beating the odds, and I'll say it to a certain extent, yes, you've, I think you've beaten the odds. Um, and despite the fact that you've lost two friends, you're still here. And, and I think a lot of that is simply because of the value of who you are to this world. Um, and I, I just had to say that I, I, I watched, you know, I, I read, I listened in, in, uh, to your, to our previous episode and I read as I just did, you know, your, your sort of bio and, um, what came to mind too was a couple of weeks ago when I watched the people's choice awards. And I think the, the honor of the night was given to Dwayne Johnson, the rock. And I, I, and I said this on my previous episode I, uh, from last week or two weeks ago that something has stuck for me, stuck with me probably for the rest of my life when he said, kindness, kindness is the price we pay to occupy a space on this planet. And for some reason, that reminds me of you. So we're going to need a little bit more details of like, what are your days like? What has your journey been like? Yeah, I, you know, it, it's funny you say that. And I, you know, that I have a very deep faith in God. I, I talk about, you know, the things that have gotten me through this are uh, partially my three F's, and, the, and those stand for faith, family, and friends. And I recall a few months ago, my, my oncologist showed me my CAT scans from back in 2020 when uh, I had my leg amputated and I 
the, the tumors in my lungs were discovered. And, and I don't have any medical background. I, I don't really know how to read a CAT scan, but I, I sort of know what should be there and what shouldn't be there. And I remember looking at the scan and I had fluid all around the, the pleural spaces, the outer spaces of my lungs. And I had these big tumors in my lungs. And I remember looking at my oncologist and, and kind of saying, how was I alive? And he was like, I have no idea. You know, which which really said to me that kind of what you just said, you know, God's not done with me yet. I, I don't know, you know, when I'm going to go, when when it's going to be time to to go home, so to speak. But, you know, I kind of look at it like, hey, that's way above my pay grade. So I, I don't really spend a lot of time worrying about it. So right now, basically, my life consists of sort of a three week cycle. I I go to the hospital Monday through Friday. Um, I am infused with these different clinical drugs, um, and I have a very um, ugly, very violent reaction. I shake violently, almost, you know, much more than what you would shake like when you were cold, but I'm not cold. It has nothing to do with being chilled or anything like that. You know, I throw up, I have a fever, I have a headache. I, I grow through this every day for a week. And then I get a couple of weeks off to, to heal and to bring my blood counts back up to, to a more normal level and things like that. And then I go back again, you know, three weeks later and, and do it all over again. And, you know, I, I recently had a, had a nurse who asked me or actually told me, she said, you know, when I first met you and I, and I met this nurse initially when I first started this treatment and she was already a nurse, but she was training in the unit as to how things were done. And a couple months ago, she was taking care of me by herself. And she's fairly young. She's about 25 years old. And she said, you know, I've, I've got a story to tell you, but I'm kind of uncomfortable. And I was like, just, just tell me. And she said, well, when I first met you, I was going to get out of nursing. I, I, was, I was in a really dark place. I had had a very good friend of mine die. And I had talked to my mom and dad. I was going to quit nursing. And I was going to go to work for Amazon. And then I met you. And I watched what you go through every single day. And you keep coming back for this treatment that most people would be like, no, I, I'm not doing that anymore. And she said, and I read your story and I, I listened to your background. And she said, I knew I was where I was supposed to be. Now, if she would have never told me that story, I would have had no idea that my life had had a positive impact on her. And I always think about that. You know, who's out there? that's looking at you, Julian, or looking at me or looking at somebody else and saying, you know what, I want to be like Julian. I want to be like Terry. I want to be like so-and-so. And we have no idea who those people are. And I remember back when I was a little kid, there was a basketball coach at UCLA called, named John Wooden. And he had a great quote. And it went like this, a careful person I want to be, a little person follows me. I dare not go astray for fear they may go the same way. So I get a certain amount of satisfaction in knowing that, at least for this nurse, my life had a positive impact. And that is, that is amazing because I think that, you know, if you really go deeper in thought about life and, and how lives are connected, you know, there's, there's a book that I often recommend to people who have that in-depth conversation with me. It's called, and you might, you might know it, it's called The Five People We Meet in Heaven. Right. And, you know, what's amazing about that is how not only our lives, but what occurs in our lives, you know, how, how we're all, how, or how many of us are connected and something has to happen with one person for something to happen to someone else. And, you know, that, that story you just talked about with that nurse, you know, that is so, that reminds me of that book because along her journey in life, if we could have some kind of um, insight or, 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 you know, you could have some kind of uh, ability to see the two journeys, the two choices she would have made, somewhere along, the, you know, when she hit that fork in the road, you play a role. And your role allows her to say, I'm not going to go down that road. I'm going to take this path because I was inspired. 
so yes, I, you know, I, this comedian, Steve Harvey, whenever he did his stand-up comments, would always say, you know, God's not done with me yet. And, you know, and, and, and I may be grasping for words, but forgive me, but like I said, I'm very, I'm very moved by being able to sit here tonight and have this conversation with you. I, as you, you know, I keep in contact with you and there's a lot about our first conversation. And even now that just inspires me as well as, as, as I look at things, especially in the past year. I mean, look at when we spoke and look at now and look at the, what is it? What are we in across the world? In the United States, there's probably a couple hundred thousand people that died from COVID alone. People who were alive and well, at least you know, outwardly on Monday and on Friday, they were no longer here. I have lost several uh, people that I knew from my church. Um, a couple of weeks ago, my wife's cousin was buried, died from COVID. She was in her 30s. And so it is so important to have this conversation with you because I think that too many of us just take life for granted. You know, people, I get people who come to me and ask me about this podcast. And they, people ask me different things, but one question that sticks in my mind is someone, people always come to me and say, hey, I want to start a podcast. How do you do it? What do you do? What equipment do you need? And blah, blah, blah. And I, and I, and I find it difficult sometimes to really empower them because the equipment and all that is necessary, but what's more necessary is purpose. This podcast is about sharing, about helping, about empowering, about lifting, about it's not about making money. You know, as I said um, on my last episode, I've turned away from different opportunities for sponsorship and I kind of foot the bill on my own because I never want the narrative to change. I never want the purpose to change. I never want to get so involved with a sponsor or someone, and they say, hey, we think you should go in this direction. No. This podcast is about people like you, Terry. Well, and, and you as well, Julian. You know, I, I've always said that, you know, it, it's good people like you that allow me to come on and, and tell my story. And between our conversation, hopefully we're going to make a positive difference in somebody's life. You know, and, and if we do that, then today has been a good day. And, you know, it, it, it's always funny, you know, you, you talk about when I, when I first found out I was going to have my leg amputated and I had these tumors in my lungs, I, I went with my wife to the mortuary, to the cemetery, to the church, and I planned my funeral. And, and a lot of my podcast recordings are about motivation and continue to, to be strong and moving forward and things. And so I got I got some brushback from people, you know, who are like, well, don't you think that's kind of defeatist, you know, going to the cemetery and planning your funeral? You know, I, I kind of laughed and and looked at them like, well, last time I checked, we're all going to die. You know, I don't think anybody's working on a cure for life right now. And I think the important thing to remember, and I think you just touched on it a minute ago, everybody dies, but not everybody really lives. And I recall a Native American Blackfoot proverb that I heard years ago that I absolutely love. And, and, I, and I've remembered it all these years. And it goes like this. When you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a way so that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. That's what I want. And I think the important part of that, of that saying is live your life. You know, find the purpose for which you were put on the face of this earth and live that purpose. And if you do, death is not nearly as scary as those people that you just mentioned who kind of, you know, they, they live a casual life. And as a result of living a casual life, their dreams, their goals, their ambitions, their purpose becomes a casualty of that unplanned living. And I don't want to be that person. You know, I want to live intentionally and continue to move forward with whatever time God gives me. You know, I, I mean, I could drop dead tomorrow 
And that would be okay because I really feel that I've lived the reason that I was put on this earth. And as a result, death isn't as scary for me. And, you know, that that is, wow, there's so much power in this conversation. So a couple of things come to mind. One is the way we live life beyond not, you know, just a purpose, but all the things that we do in, in whatever our role is in life, the way we treat people, the way we, we you, you look out into, say, corporate America and you look at certain environments where people are, are ready to literally take a knife and stab it in someone else's back to get to another rung up a ladder. And it is so, you know, what you've said is so powerful because as many people as they trample on and kill and stab and do whatever they need to do um, to get to, to claw their way to the top, at the end of the road, when they finish getting all the way to the top and doing whatever, what lies there for you, me, and everyone else is the same ending. And so, if, if you spend your life doing that, you lose an opportunity to make a difference in this world. You lose an opportunity to live a life of value and purpose. You lose an opportunity to do what I think God put us all here for, and that is, each of us has a responsibility to lift someone else. Each of us has a responsibility to bring value to someone else's life. And I think there's so much failure of that in this world that we live in right now. First and foremost, because I think that, and I think the pandemic has done some damage to that too, because I see it in my church. It has given people an opportunity and an excuse to turn their backs on the church. And I tell you from that perspective, I, I can think of our congregation and the amount of people. The church I go to has about 550 members. So you get, on any given Sunday, you have two services, eight and ten, and you get several hundred people. And then we had to close down, and we, we, were, already, we were already streaming prior to, so we were able to go, you know, immediately go online and, you know, do virtual service. And as things have come back slowly, and they're still on a, on a in between coming back on a pause because we have limited, um, we allow limited people to come in to maintain social distancing and all of that. What you found even is the people that used to come, when you look at the numbers online, they're looking at the service. But now that they're no longer in the congregation where the other members are seeing them and they, you know, when, when the, for instance, when the, when the offering comes by where they give monies to, to keep the church open, to keep the lights on, that has dwindled because I think many people have decided no one's watching. But because we live in this thing called life and value is so important, God's watching. And I know he's watching because I'm having this conversation with you. I'm waiting for your thoughts. Yeah, I would agree with you. I, I, I would. I, I, you know, and, and it, when, when you were talking there, I was thinking about a story that I heard uh, a couple years ago. And I, I don't believe it's a true story, but I think it's, it's an interesting story. It, it's about uh, Alexander the Great, probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest conqueror of all times. He conquered everything that, you know, he set out to conquer. And there's a story about him at the end of his life. And he, he's, he knows he's dying, so he brings his counselors together, and he says, I want you to all carry out my final three wishes. And he said, my first wish is I, I want only my doctors, my physicians, to carry my coffin to the grave. The second wish I have is that I want the road to the cemetery paved with gold and silver and precious stones. And the third wish is that I want my hands to be hanging out of my coffin. And one of his counselors says, you know, hey, you're Alexander the Great. You're, you're, you're the most powerful man in the world at this point in time. These seem like kind of silly wishes. Why do you want these particular wishes to be carried out? And he said, well, number one, he said, I want only my doctors to carry my coffin to the grave because I want people to understand that no doctor cures anybody. They only assist the body in curing itself. 
And the things and the decisions that we make in life, a lot of times help the doctors or sometimes prevent the doctors from curing us. So I want people to understand that they need to be responsible for their own health. So that's the first one. And the second one, he said, you know, I've spent my entire life accumulating power and wealth and influence. And yet none of that power, wealth, or influence is coming with me beyond the grave. And then the third wish about keeping his hands outside his coffin was, I want people to understand that I came into this world empty-handed, and I pretty much leave it the exact same way I entered it. And I think that's a good story, kind of what you were just saying about, you know, the people that sort of claw their way to the top. And then when they get there, it's almost anticlimactic. It's almost an empty feeling like, okay, I did all this and now I've got all this stuff, but that's all it is. It's stuff. And I have no real purpose. I have no good relationships in life. And and that's why I kind of tell that story because I want people to realize that, you know, chasing the almighty dollar or chasing, you know, power and influence and all that kind of stuff is great, but it doesn't get you anywhere. The only thing you take beyond this world is the love that you have in your heart. And we are not all born with the same gifts and talents, but we're all born with the ability to become the best person that we're capable of becoming. Yes, absolutely. You know, I was thinking of when you said the last part, I was thinking of something that I've said over and over again. It's pretty common. So folks have heard over and over again, but you know, they say, when you go visit the cemetery and you read the headstone, you read the name, you read the date of birth, you read the date deceased and the dash in the middle. And the most important thing about that sign and that headstone is the dash in the middle. You know, we, we get an opportunity at life. You know, I, I look at so many people, even in my work environment, how people almost seem to, it seems sometimes that like they go home and they stay awake and they, plot ways to come back into the office to undermine someone and to make them more miserable and to, you know, hopefully in some cases try to have them lose their job or get demoted. These are things that all are, and they become personally important to someone else. And what, 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 what bothers me, what makes my days so difficult in this environment is that first of all, we always need to look beyond what we see regardless of what we're seeing in front of us. And I mean, I used to tell my staff at one time, you know, I used to be over a large division. I had like 150 something staff and I, I spent more of a time as a manager there, more counseling people and motivating people and rewarding people rather, you know, rather than doing actual business related work. And I, and I say that because, you know, people would come to me and, and they would say, you know, I went to see this person because some of the guys that work for me are, are, different levels of techs and, you know, so they assist people who have IT problems and someone would come to me and say, I spoke to this person this morning. She was so nasty to me and they were going on and on. I had to stop them. I said, you know, it's easy to take and, and absorb the energy that someone gives you in a situation like that. But we, if we really being mindful of life, we also have to consider that person's at work now. What happened between the time they woke up and the time they got here. What's going on in their personal life? Is this person normally like that every day? There's, even if they are, there's something else going on there. And maybe our approach needs to change to bring value to our interaction and, there, and therefore do exactly what you did with that nurse. Have them look at life in a different way. Because, you know, in New York City, someone may get up in the morning, have a difficult time with their kids or whatever, getting them off to school, miss their train because of that. Now they know they're going to be late, get on the train, uh, have a bad experience with another passenger or have, a, you know, just the whole thing. And by the time they get to work, they are no longer in, in the mindset of who they really are. And then we compound these things by not living with a purpose and understanding people and, and approaching a situation with all the intention of kindness and value. Um, I know to many people that may sound very layered and complicated, but it actually is not if you practice it. Who you are, Terry, is 
you know, part of who you are has come from your experiences in life and what you've gone through. And you've chosen to take something that, and I got to be honest with you, I'm a man of God and I pray for a few things. You know, a lot of things I pray for, I don't share because they're between me and God, but I do pray for more time. I always pray for more time because I feel like, and to carry out his purpose for me, because I feel like even with this podcast, I just feel like I've got a way to go. I just feel that there's a bigger purpose. And this is just one phase in me being, me bringing the value to people and others and, and situations on this earth and fulfilling who God made me and what God intended me to, you know, to do on this earth. Um, and to have to, to want to do that and to be faced with a challenge like yours, you have something else there. And that's an incredible strength that can only come from God. And, and, and for those of you in my, you know, all my audience, those of you who believe, you get that. Those of you who are on the fence, well, you have something to think about. Those of you who don't believe, well, look, you know, you got to make your draw your own conclusions. But for me, in, in, I mean, you are an example beyond anything I can, I've ever experienced personally because as a man of God myself, I honestly don't know if I could reach, and I hope I could, but if I could reach the level that you have as a human being going through this experience. And you, you know what happens. People go through bad experiences and it changes the focus. So you, you went, and, I, and you, and when I'm done here, I know I'm being a little long winded, but it's because you are so affecting to me. Um, and you can tell me how, you know, about that part of your experience. But I think when we hit the crossroads of getting news like you got and, and understanding how rare it is and, and, and what the, the prognosis is, did you go through any period of time where you were angry with God? And I think from what I've learned, there's a process. And, and, and I think with God, sometimes that process is okay because it's not where what you go through, but it's where you end up. Tell us what that part was like. Yeah, I, you know, when I first found out and, you know, you, you kind of read a little bit of my bio, you know, I, that I, I really did feel, you know, I'm just like everybody else on the planet. I'm, I'm going about my business. I'm living my life. I, I have a job. I have a family. And then I get hit right between the eyes with this, hey, you've got this very rare form of cancer that, you know, I, I mean, you cancer's bad enough, but when when your doctor tells you, I've been a doctor for 25 years and I've never seen this form of cancer, you kind of take a step back. You're like, holy cow, you know, I, I just didn't get cancer. I got, you know, something that's weird. And, and you, actually, you, you did a very good job of pronouncing it, you, you know. So I, I you know, you, you, you go through all the emotions. And I did. You know, I, I went through, you know, I was down. I was, you know, I was mad. I was... I, you know, I, I was trying to bargain with God. And then I think I just really came to a point where it was like, okay, these are the cards that I've been dealt. And I'm going to have to play these cards to the best of my ability. And, and I've had people ask me, you know, do you blame God? We're, we're a great society of not wanting to take responsibility for our own success and happiness. When we don't get what we want, we've got to blame somebody. We've got to blame our parents or, you know, our boss or our status in life, whatever it is. And, I mean, we all know this. The world doesn't owe you a thing. If you want something in life, you got to figure out what that is. got to figure out how to get it, and you got to go after it. Because if you don't, it's not going to come to you. So, you know, people say, you know, do you blame God because you got cancer? And I sort of joke about it. I said, you know, no, I don't think God got up on a Tuesday morning, looked at his to-do list and said, you know, Terry Tucker cancer. And, you know, a couple summers ago, I don't know if I mentioned this in the in the last time we recorded, but a couple summers ago, I had a genetic testing done of all 88 genes that doctors either know or suspect cause all different forms of cancer, not just melanoma, but lung cancer and kidney cancer and bladder cancer and everything else. And I have absolutely no mutations in any of my genes that would have caused me to have any kind of cancer, which then begs the question, why did I get this? And my doctor can't tell me why. 
And in all honesty, Julian, I don't spend a lot of time worrying about it. I, I, I think cancer has made me a better human being. Now, I, I hate what it's done to my family, but for my purposes, I think cancer made me a better person, maybe appreciate life more than maybe I was doing before. I mean, I'd always been a man of faith. I'd always gone to church. I'd always done those kind of things, but I was living a comfortable life. And you can't grow when you're comfortable. You have to step outside your comfort zone. You know, you have to do things. And I always recommend, I try to do this every day. And, and so I recommend it to people that every day of your life, you should try to do one thing. And it doesn't have to be a big thing. Do one thing that makes you nervous, that makes you uncomfortable, that scares you, that maybe potentially is going to be embarrassing. Because if you do those things every day in the little, in the little things, when the big things in life happen, and they happen to all of us, you lose somebody that's close to you, as you mentioned, you, you know, you buried your wife's cousin very recently, you know, you lose your job, you're living out of your car, those things happen, they're a real part of life. And if you do those small things every day, when the big things hit, you're going to be able to handle those, you're going to be, you're going to have the courage, you're going to have the resolve, you're going to have the ability to handle those things. So I always recommend to people every day, do one thing that makes you uncomfortable because it's going to make you a better human being. Yes, that is, that is actually, um, <laughs> that's interesting that you said that because you just had me thinking about it. Um, I've, I've been covering different roles in my job for the last four years. And I remember saying, speaking to, I had a conference call with my supervisor earlier this week, and I was saying to him, you know, um, at this point, after four years, I'm tired. I just want to find something that I'm comfortable doing because for the last four years, I've been in a position of discomfort every day because every single, I was kind of like a firefighter. I was assisting a CIO, and so everything that I did was something that I'd never done before, and I needed to figure it out and have a response by yesterday, and 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 it was fatiguing. Um, but and even though I'm looking forward to doing something now that I'm more comfortable with, I think that I almost feel in a certain way that that's okay now because. I gained a whole lot in that, in those four years of discomfort to make me better at doing what I want to do now. Um, and, and it is tiring. It is tiring to be in a position of discomfort, but you know, when you don't have any choice and you're kind of forced to do it, you can either, like you said, you can either lay down your hat or you can, you know, you can get up and just, just do it. And it does, it does, you know, being in a position of discomfort. And I was telling my wife this the other day too, it it does uh, result in growth if you if you get to the point where you just embrace it as part of your life and and you, know, you live up to the challenge. It is tiring, and you know at this point, like I said, I'm looking to take what I've learned and then and uh, employ it now because the years of discomfort have created a growth, in, I think, in who I am even more as a manager. Um. But one thing you also said that I want to touch on, I don't think we touched on a previous conversation either, is you mentioned your family. And we haven't really spent much time talking about how this has impacted the people around you. So I need you to tell us a little bit about that, because that will be an interesting part of your journey. Sure. So kind of interesting, when, when I married my wife, and, and we've been married for 28 years now, she had never seen the inside of a hospital emergency room. And now having gone through, you know, we've been married for 28 years, almost 10 of those years have been dealing with cancer on, on my end. And I, I remember one time, you know, my cancer initially presented on the bottom of my foot and I'd had numerous surgeries to cut out different parts of my foot. And I remember one day my, my I was having a, a small chunk taken out of my foot and my wife is down at the end of the table with the doctor and my doctor's performing the, the operation and my wife is sitting there talking to her, you know, and the two of them are going back and forth. And I thought, man, there's no way you could have done this, you know, 
whatever it was, you know, 24 years ago when we first got married, it would have been like, absolutely not. So my family has been a tremendous, um, just been tremendous in terms of helping me get through this. I, I recall a, a couple stories. Uh, the first one, I remember when I got home from the hospital the, the second time, my second surgery at MD Anderson, uh, I, I was very close in terms of proximity to the hospital to our house, and I was offered pain medication when I left, and I, I chose not to do it. And when I got home, I had to navigate three steps in from the garage to the to the kitchen, and then seven steps to a landing, and then seven more steps upstairs to the bedroom. And I remember getting to that landing, and I had 40 staples in my groin area where they'd taken out all my lymph nodes, and it felt like my groin was on fire. And I, I just looked at my wife and daughter, and I said, look, I, I can't do this. I've got to sit down. I've got to rest. Now, I'm six foot eight, and at the time, I was 240 pounds. And my, my daughter, who was 15 at the time, was like, absolutely not, Dad. If you sit down, you will never get up. So she grabbed me by the lapels, and my wife kind of pushed from the rear, and they got me up those seven steps. And I think about that story, and I ask a couple questions. One, who's pushing or pulling you in your life towards your goals? Or maybe more importantly, who are you pushing or pulling toward your goals? Without my family, there's no way I would have gotten up those stairs. Who in your life is helping you get to your goals or who are you helping get to their goals? I think that's a real, it's a little bit subtle, but I think it's an important point. And the second story that I, that I like to tell is when, when I had my leg amputated, after I healed, I went to see my oncologist and he said, you know what, I want to put you on chemotherapy. And I looked at him and I'm like, is it going to save my life? And he said, mm, probably not, but it's going to buy you some more time. And I'd been in this fight for eight years at that time. And, and I kind of looked at him like, I don't think I want to do this. I don't think I want to go down this road, but I'll go home and I'll talk to my family. So I, I go home and, and like I said, it's just my wife and daughter and I, and I start telling them the story and my daughter's immediately, okay, oh, hey, we need a family meeting. I'm like, family meeting, there's three of us. You know, what do you mean? What do we think we got a board here or something like that? I mean, there's just the three of us. But we end up sitting around the kitchen table and talking about how we feel about me having chemotherapy. And after we do that, my daughter's like, okay, let's take a vote. How many people want dad to take chemotherapy? And my wife and daughter raised their hand. And I'm like, wait a minute. Am I getting outvoted here on something that I don't want to do? But I remembered back to the police academy when our defensive tactics instructor had us bring a photograph of the people we love the most to class. And as we were learning different techniques to defend ourselves, he wanted us to look at those, those photographs because he reasoned you will fight harder for the people you love than you will fight for yourself. So I ended up taking chemotherapy because I love my family more than I love myself. Wow. Wow. That is, that is, that is thought provoking on so many levels. Um, certainly long after this episode airs, that's going to remain with people. And, and it's so important because like I said, so many people take life for granted. And that's why I want you to touch on your family too, because there also has to, before I go to my next thought, there also has to be a negative side to it. What is the struggle like, or do you perceive the struggle to be like with your wife and your daughter, who, you know, you seem to be a very close-knit family. When you think about their struggles when you are not around, their thought processes, and, and maybe you guys uh, get to a point where you have family meetings and you actually talk about that. But what do you think their struggles are like? You know, they may be, I'm assuming, uh, as far as they know, 100% healthy. And and I say this, and I will give you just a little piece of why I'm asking you this. When my mother got sick, she got sick in, well, she'd been telling us for years. She had a saying she used to say, Nobody knows how I feel. 
And she is she was real old school, as I would say. She died in 2014. She was 86 at the time. Um, but she had not been feeling well for years, but she didn't tell anyone because she, and she didn't tell her doctor because she told me, you know, at the end stage of her life that she didn't say anything because with the ideology of older people, she was afraid of what they would find. Um, but you know, in watching her go through her process and it, and from the time she got sick in December, 2014, she was dead by March. She died on March 17, 20. Let me get this right. She got sick on December 2013. She died on March 17, 2014. Um, as as an as an onlooker, as a family member, it was probably the most stressful time. That was the first person that close to me that ever died. Um. It was very, very stressful um, because I think I went through so many thoughts as the onlooker, including how helpless you are. I went through so many conversations with God. And the thing about it is, here she is. She had an amazing life. She was an amazing woman. She was 86 years old. She sat with us as a, as a woman of God and told us that she was ready to go. And I'll tell you, I'll share this story. I think I shared it maybe once on one of my podcasts, but I'm not sure if I did or not. Um, it's a very special story because she was such a woman of God that when she first went into the hospital, my dad asked her, what do you want me to bring? And all she said was, my Bible. And one day, and they, they don't live in the United States. They, they li- you know, well, they, they live back and forth. But... Um, at the time when she got sick, she wasn't here. And I remember I sat next to her in her hospital bed and she said, she looked at me and she knew, I, I, she knows my relationship with God. She says, you know, Julian, Jesus was here. And I said, what do you mean Jesus was here? She says, I was lying here praying and he appeared. This overwhelmingly powerful presence in white with this seemingly bright yet not bright light. It was just like an, I don't know what, I don't know what, I can't remember what adjective she used. And he came down to her. Her name was Leela. And he says, he, he touched her and he said, Leela, you'll be, everything's going to be okay. And you know, when I first heard it on the spot like that, knowing my mother, I could imagine the experience she went through because at that point, she did recover for a while, and she came out of the hospital, and she told that story to her church, to her pastor, to everyone. She said, this is what I experienced. So I said to her, I said, well, I used to call her Ma. I said, Ma, what did Jesus look like? And she said to me, she says, the presence was so powerful that she was not able to raise her head to look at it. And... I, I, you know, I went to that story and told it not only because of the power of it for those who believe, but for what we go through as the people around you and the people that need to support you and struggle with emotions. Have you ever had that conversation? About emotions and that? Yeah, with your wife and you, about what their experience is like. Um, not just because I know they've go, they're going through a number of things, not just being supported to you and and believing, but we're human. We go through um, fear, fear of losing someone. Um, I mean, the questions that come with it internally, have you ever had that conversation with them? You know, no, to be honest with you. My, my wife is a very stoic uh, individual. You know, she's a, a Norwegian background, and, you know, uh, emotions and things like that do not come easily for her. I mean, I've certainly talked, um, with our daughter about it. Um, you know, she is, she's young. I mean, she's 25 years old. She's, she's in no way ready to talk about her dad dying. Uh, I think she's, I think she understands that it's probably not too far in the, in the distant future, but you know, as long as I'm talking and walking and she can see me, everything's good. 
And, you know, I've tried to talk about, you know what, it's going to be different when I'm not here, but I, I, I've written her a, a, a very long letter that she's to get when I die. I mean, not that that's going to help, but we've gone through, I mean, there are books you can buy to, you know, tell me about your life kind of thing. You know, who were your girlfriends? Who were your friends? What did you do when you were, all that kind of stuff to just kind of, you know, we've been through a lot of that, but the, the getting down to it, the, the real emotional part of it, no, they, they don't, they don't want to talk about it. But I can only sense that, you know, for me, physical pain is something I can deal with. Emotional pain is much harder. And I think that's what they're going through. And I think they have it in a lot of ways, a lot worse than I do. Yes, and that's why that's why I told you that whole story about my mother and Jesus and all that because I was sort of you know the things that she went through and she and she shared with me had a, had a, had a I think for her and that experience that she went through that that um spiritual experience that she went through um sort of pre- so I don't know if it prepared her but I think she was so peaceful in going like you are you know she was at she was at peace with it and, and and almost ready to 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 go to move on to you know to um life after death and um but for me the struggle was different and it's and i'll give you another example on january 2nd i'm going to celebrate uh my father's birthday with him he's going to be 90 and very able-bodied he still drives he's still he's not slow he's not you know and it's still like, you know, you can't, I can't imagine, he and I speak several times a day, and I can't imagine one day when it's silent. And he doesn't, the only, the only inclination of the end being, you know, coming within whatever, and I'm still hoping that it's many, many years from now, but is, is, is age. Whereas yours is, kind of like how my mother's was, it's more significant because it's illness and it's sort of, technically that's not true, <laughs> but, you know, because uh, you are still here and, and there are several hundred thousand people who are not just from COVID alone. But you get what I'm saying. It, 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 it may present itself to family members as, as more imminent, even though that's just an appearance. Yeah, I, 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 I totally agree with you. I, I mean, I have, you know, between my time in law enforcement, between the number of people that I've I've met during this cancer journey, uh, I, I've seen a lot of people die. You know, including my father shortly after I graduated from college, and you know, my grandmother first, and then my father. I mean, they they died within about a year of each other. They were both sick. They were both dying, and yeah, it, it takes a tremendous emotional toll on people. And and I remember. You know, here I am. I'm a college graduate. I'm the first person in my family to graduate from college, and I'm all set to make my mark on the world with my newly obtained business administration degree. And it's like, oh, wait a minute, you're going to now live at home for the next three and a half years while you're helping your mom care for your dad and your grandmother, who are, are both dying of different forms of cancer. And and I I rarely went out. I rarely dated. I really. I mean, I remember I went on a date with this very attractive respiratory therapist who I met at the hospital that my grandmother was in, and I literally broke down crying uh, on the first date. Uh, obviously, there was not a second date because I'm sure she was like, <laughs> get this wacko out of here. You know, I don't need this. So, you know, yes, the emotional part of it is, I think, like I said, it's almost worse the emotional pain is worse than the physical pain that the patient's going through. Yes. And, and I'm going to, as I was listening to you and I, and I laughed about your date, um, I'm going to almost like switch gears midstream um, as I come to the close of this conversation, because I wanted to touch on the, on the positives and the negatives of, of, of what you're going through. uh, Because I think that, for the people who are as touched as I am by your by your story, by your strength, by the inspiration that you are, I wanted them to know the truth of it that as inspiring as you are, there are good things and bad things about every experience and journey in life. I want them to know that 
This is 247 Real Talk, and it's 247 Real Talk. And the Real Talk says, look, Terry's an amazing inspiration, and we can all learn from your life and, and how you're living it. And these are the things that come along with these challenges, the emotions, the good, the bad. But at the end of the day, you're the one who's experiencing the illness, and you're the one that's so inspirational, so empowering. So I think when people finish listening to this episode, probably like the first one, you want to just get up and go out there and do something new and different and make a difference. I think that it is so important for me to have you as a guest on my show because I struggle with getting people to look at life differently and to start to treat each other differently and to understand the value of life and to understand that you know, our time here is limited and it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's not infinite and it's how important it is each and every day. Once you have, once you're as of the age where you understand and have the ability to, to make a difference that you make a difference and that different come difference comes in a smile, some a kind word, a motivational speech when someone is down, just a lift, a picker upper understanding that you have a purpose and sometimes your purpose is not as visible as you think, but you're living your purpose. If you're living as a good person who's trying to make a positive difference in this world, because then when you do that, then you're a vessel that can be used and God can use you to do what he intended you to be here for. So um, we're closing in on the hour and I'm going to, uh, you know, this could go on forever because like I said, I, I have, you've really impacted me. You, you, you impacted me the first time, this time I think more than then. And I think partially because what I've, the, the devastation I've seen over the last year, and, and I'm so giddy with happiness that, that you're, you're a guest on this episode and that, and that you're still here. And God, only God knows, but I'm going to do this again. I'm going to, right here, right now, in front of my audience, Invite Terry Tucker back on my show in December 2022. Will you honor me with your presence? If I have any say in it, you're absolutely, absolutely. I'll come back on your show. Absolutely. Yeah, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna declare that, that Terry will be back here. Um, for all of you out there who listen to this, and I know it was a, it might have been a bit of an emotional roller coaster, some happy moments and some and some um, difficult ones in between. But this is a real conversation. These are real emotions. These, you know, what Terry has shared and what I've shared, they're very personal things, but they're things that we need to talk about as human beings. They're things that we need to recognize and continue to develop who we are. As I come to the close of this episode, I'm going to do like I did in the first episode, Terry, and I'm going to ask you to leave us with some of your inspirational thoughts. So I'll, I'll leave you with with two quick stories. One uh, involves another nurse who asked me what it was like to have my foot amputated initially and then to have my leg amputated. And, and I told her, I said, it, it has not been easy. I am still learning how to walk. Uh, you know, it's one thing when you're a little kid and you're learning to walk and, you know, you kind of fall over and laugh and have a good time with it. When you're 61 years old and you're six foot eight, falling is not an option. You get hurt when you when you do that. But I remember saying to her that, you know, it hasn't been easy, but cancer can take all my physical faculties. But cancer can't touch my mind. It can't touch my heart and it can't touch my soul. And that's who we really are. This is just this body is just a, a house or a vessel of which to store who we really are. So, you know, I, I don't get too upset. You know, if I have to have something else cut off, well, you know what, then I have to have it cut off. That's not who I am. And that's not who you are, Julian. You know that. That's not who your listeners are. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is I'll leave you with, with this story. I've always been a big fan of Westerns growing up. My mom and dad used to let me stay up and watch Gunsmoke and Wild Wild West and Bonanza and all that kind of stuff when I was young. 1993, the movie Tombstone came out and it starred Val Kilmer as a man by the name of John Doc Holliday and Kurt Russell as a man by the name of Wyatt Earp. 
Now, Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp were two living, breathing human beings who walked on the face of the earth. They're not made up characters for the movie. And Doc was called Doc because he was actually a dentist by trade. But Doc Holliday pretty much was a card shark and a gunslinger. And Wyatt Earp, his entire life, had been a lawman. And these two men from obviously entirely different backgrounds form this very close friendship. And at the end of the movie, Doc Holliday is dying at a sanitarium in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, which is about three hours from where I live. The real Doc Holliday died at that, that sanitarium, and he's buried in the Glenwood Springs Cemetery. And Wyatt, at this point in his life, is destitute. He has no money. He has no job. He has no prospects for a job. So every day he comes to play cards with Doc, and the two men pass the time that way. And in the scene at the end of the movie, they're talking about what they want out of life. And Doc says, you know, I was in love with my cousin when I was younger, but she joined a convent over the affair. But she's all that I ever wanted. And then he looks at Wyatt and he says, what about you, Wyatt? What do you want? And Wyatt kind of looks at him nonchalantly and says, I just want to lead a normal life. And Doc looks at him and says, there's no normal. There's just life. And get on with living yours. Julian, you and I know people out there, some, some of them may be in your audience, who are kind of just sitting back and saying, when this happens, I'll have a normal life. When that happens, I'll have a successful life. When this happens, I'll have a significant life. I guess what I'm saying is, don't wait. Don't wait for life to come to you. Get out there, find the reason you were put on the face of this earth, and live that reason. And if you do, I'm going to promise you two things at the end of your life. Number one, you're going to be a whole lot happier. And number two, you're going to have a whole lot more peace in your heart. And with that, not much more I can say. Terry, thank you so much for blessing my my show, for being a part of the reason I created this podcast, for motivating me even more to dig deeper, to find, you know, more stories and, and, and more words and more ways to help people, to empower people, to lift people up, to not only make them feel good about themselves, but know that their lives have value, even in the toughest times. It's been an absolute pleasure, an honor, I'm going to say, for many reasons, to have you, know, have you on the show again. I'm looking forward to 2022 and to hear about what you at, where you are next and to hear how much more God has brought you forward. So thank you so much for being a part of 247 Real Talk Podcast. It's been an absolute honor and pleasure. Well, thank you for having me on, Julian. You know, like I said earlier, it, you know, hopefully our conversation is going to make a difference in somebody's life. And if it does that for you and me, today's been a good day. A fantastic day. Please don't hang up. Stay on the line. I'll be right back with you. Okay. I want to say a very special thank you to my guest, Terry Tucker. Wow. What inspiration. What an amazing story. For all of you who listen to this episode and receive what Terry has to share, I want to thank you for the support of the show, for the support of my guests, for the support of Terry. I want to remind you, you can listen to this episode and every episode on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to send me a message, if you'd like to send a, an inspirational message or share something with Terry, or for any other reason that you need to get a hold of me, you can email me at podcast at 247realtalk.net. That's podcast at 247realtalk.net. But God. But God. Until the next time, take care of yourselves and each other.